What up, family? It's your boy Amaru, and we are back here with another bite-sized breakdown interview. Uh, and this time, uh, I have the honor and privilege of interviewing uh, a man that I have really loved for the last uh, few years, one of my favorite directors. Uh, he's done such works as The Farm, Charm City Kings, and for you Menudo fans, uh, a great docuseries called Menudo Forever Young. And of course, his latest, uh, the latest uh, film out of the DCEU, Blue Beetle. I am here with Angel Manuel Soto. Uh, Angel, how are you doing today, sir? So thankful for, uh, for joining us. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, as you, I'm sure, already know, I, I'm a follower of, of your posts on Instagram. I follow everything you guys do, and um, it's it's an honor for me to be here uh, chatting with you. And, uh, I'm very um, humbled by your kind words, so thank you. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, I actually, that's where I'd like to start. Um, I absolutely loved Charm City Kings. It was one of my favorite films uh, when it came out, um, especially because of the heart that each of the characters had and the heart you brought to the performances and they had with each other. Um, so what were, what were some of the lessons you learned on that film that you brought into Blue Beetle? Um, I think the biggest lesson was making sure that, to your point, the the characters feel real, feel tangible, feel authentic, uh, not only in who they are and what they represent, but also in context of the bigger story. And on top of that, creating chemistry with the characters to a level of making you doubt if, like, or have they been friends for so long because it feels so natural or in the case of Blue Beetle, uh, these people didn't just meet to act. It feels like a family that's lived in and that creates like a, a click. Even if you had that experience or not, the way the familiarity and the chemistry in which people relate to each other is something that we at least have experienced either the abundance of or the lack of. So by being able to tap into the authentic relationship that exists within the different types of groups that you're trying to represent, I think it just innately creates a visceral experience as it invites the audience to be a part of the journey that our characters are living in. Whether you end up liking them or you end up hating them, uh, you feel like these people actually exist and are worth taking a look at because of the humanity that at least I try to protect. So we did that in Charm City Kings. Um, we made sure that chemistry was not only rehearsed or on camera, but also outside of camera in the resting time. Like they will spend time together, that they will get their own inside jokes so that they can bring all this stuff is like, you know, if, if there's something I think that makes you familiar to somebody is that you know something about them that nobody else does. And if you are able to have that type of familiarity within the characters where they went out one Saturday, something crazy happened that only they know, that camaraderie manifests and translates. So by honing into that, I think that's the best rehearsal when you're trying to create a nucleus that is um relatable and authentic 
Uh, of course, uh, speaking of the nucleus, like the Reyes family is one of my favorite uh, comic book families uh, that I've seen in a long time, especially because unlike other comic book movies, they take the, the journey with Jaime uh, and you did a really brilliant job creating that authenticity. Um, but what was really cool is that you worked with not only like amazing veterans like George Lopez, Elpidia Carrillo, Adriana Barraza, but you also worked with a lot of up and coming actors, uh, Belisa, Solo, Bruna on camera because it's great that they got that off camera camaraderie but on camera what's it like directing such a diverse group of actors with so much different experience and making them feel like a family well it, it, it was pretty simple like you know that you can rely uh pretty seamlessly uh with the veterans right like damian alcacen um uh, adriana barraza you know they come they know like they they're they're their experience, you can tell, and it's definitely easier to arrive to those places. Uh, but it's also nice that you're able to pair them, you know, pair the least experienced one with the most experienced one, and and the vulnerability that all these actors, you know, Cabriela Barraza and Daniel Casal, they come from the Latin American cinema, mm -hmm. which is a very different school. Uh, I think in terms of acting and creative performances that are visceral. Uh, so like when you have Cholo, who is his first movie paired with Damien Alcazar, the gravitational pull, <clears throat> sort of like there's like an, an exchange of, of uh, respect and exchange of honor that translates in the performances. So that was pretty uh, wild to see and, you know, see them step into the plate and then you have like a Bruna facing off Susan and how it kind of like empowered Bruna to get to that place specifically right. when dealing with such a big actress like Susan Sarandon for example mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that we did in the rehearsal process uh, with our characters especially with the family we instead of really going over the script and trying to like, oh, let's crack the scene open. I believe that in order to crack the subtext of the scene, it was, that's something that we can converse and we can get to it and I can direct them, but part of their job and what I wanted to create was the authentic family and the level of, you know, the layers of respect. It's not like, oh yeah, no, like, you know, this 60 year old is my good friend. No, I want them to feel like this 60 year old is my father, is my nana, is my mother. So what I did was, instead of reading the script, was um, let's share stories, right? Let's share stories. Let's have the elders of the team share their journey. Because all you know is like, yeah, that's the amazing actor that I saw the other day, or the amazing actress that got nominated for an Academy Award. But you don't know their journey. You don't know how hard it took them. You don't know everything that went in their childhood. So when you see them talking about their life, you see the young kids like mesmerized because they live in a different era with different privileges that the elders didn't have. So that creates a, a respect innately that once you see it in, in, in front of the camera, it translates as love or family because your dad, you love your dad, but you also, based on the type of dad that you have, but if you know that your dad has gone through a lot to have you in a place where you don't have to suffer or go through the adversities that your parents have to go through, you have this sense of respect 
because you're like, you know, and for me, it was very important. So by doing that, it made it very easy. The kids knew what their place was in the nucleus of the family based not on what's on the script alone. That definitely helped because Gareth Dunet Alcocer did an amazing job in writing a family that is authentically Mexican because he is Mexican and the characters are Mexican, but also that feels authentic and lived in. And right. in order to create the lived in, each of those, each of my actors know secrets about each other that when you translate it into a family performance, it it, it comes out of the pores. It comes out of out of their performance. Yes, um, and you speaking of uh, Adriana Barraza, uh, her character Nana was, is just <laughs> amazing. She is so layered, and there was one particular plot point that I really, really loved. That was really intriguing. There's a, a point in the film where she says, "Now we can cry." Um, <laughs> yeah. And and why was that so important to have her deliver that and have that ideal of like, yo, we have things to handle. Let's pull it together. And when it's all done, let's not forget to then for, to, to let's not forget our emotions after that is done. Why was that so important for her to deliver that? Well, it's a couple of things. One is that, you know, for me and the writer, we always felt that out of these movies, um, uh, grief is not an option, you know being vulnerable, showing emotion is weakness. And and I um, I defy that perspective. I don't think that that's true at all. I think that, um, you know, being able to address your emotions, whether it is at the moment or whether it is after things are done, um, is, is a humanity that we all can share, uh, whether it happens before the adrenaline hits or after the adrenaline hits. So for for us, you know, that whole thing of like, oh, we went to war, we lost a bunch of friends, but we won, yeah, nobody remembers the dead. It, it just felt like unauthentic to the Latino experience and the way we deal with, uh, we handle grief and the way we deal with our ancestors, especially the loved ones that passed away. So given the circumstances in the movie, you know, it is fair to assume that we all want to collapse in grief and well after the death of a loved one, but the movie needs to move on. And the film acknowledges that mm -hmm. this is a moment to break down, but we have to hold it. And we use that that pain, we use that energy to, to finish the journey. And then at the end, allowing us, not just the characters, because that's the other part is like, so how do we earn that, right? Be mm -hmm. Because usually, oh, they, oh yeah, so then you're like a, you're the cemetery and the casket is going down. And it's like, oh, we don't want to do that, right? So mm -hmm. we want them to actually, once the adrenaline is over, get to that moment of realization. And the Nana, the matriarch, the, the, the authority of this family is not only telling the, the family, now we can cry, it's also telling the audience now you can feel, feel, don't feel, you want to cry, now it's time to cry. And mm -hmm. and if it worked, it, it was one of those psychological tests that we were putting ourselves in until like, man, let's see if like, by having Nana allowing his, because we created this family so as real and grounded as possible, uh, 
and you are so invested in them and you love them that you also take Nana's advice and you also cry because now you as the audience are part of this family as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It, it's little things like that, like that line in the movie that really showed you really cared about making sure the Latino culture and your history uh, is, is in there. Um, but another aspect of the movie that I really, really loved was the music. And I know that uh, you, nice. you were a musician, you were part of a, a rock band <laughs> growing up, Los Chaveres. So my, my question is like, how did being a musician uh, and like your punk rock sensibilities, how did that affect the music choices you had within the film? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was very helpful that of the start, um, Gareth and I were both contemporary, uh, although he was, you know, born and raised in Querétaro, Mexico, and I'm from Puerto Rico. Um, we both grew with the same uh, pop culture references, whether it was music or TV. Um, and that's where we understood that, although we are Latino, we are not a monolith. We're from separate uh, countries with our own uh, native cultures and idiosyncrasies. But we we quickly found out that there's a lot of stuff that we have more in common than not. Uh, and it's not just the language, it's also shared uh, arts. Like the mm -hmm. arts has always been an amazing bridge for cultures and uh, within Latino is not exception. Um, music, TV, TV shows, uh, uh, talk shows, movies, uh, we have all shared this dialogue between the arts. So it was very important for us to have a pan-Latino uh, uh, cross-cultural manifestation of pop culture because the same way like, you know, Soda Stereo is from Argentina, but we heard it. We used to play that in Puerto Rico and they used to play that in, in Mexico. And when we were talking about Soda Stereo, Nada Personal is both our favorite songs from Soda Stereo. So it's like, dude, Nada Personal has this like John Hughes 80s ending energy to it. And we were like, man, we have never seen a John Hughes type of movie catered to Latinos or Latinos appropriating spaces that um, that that allows us to have a John Hughes ending. Uh, why not do it? And do an homage to John Hughes, but do it with our music and our culture. And so we were able to curate a really interesting plethora of styles that go from like reggaeton to norteño, uh, to salsa, to rock, to punk with Los Psychos from Peru, Calle 13 Atrévete, and bring also newcomers like uh, Alvarito Diaz and Raynao. But also, you know, we it's not just Latino, we also have some monthly crew. We have some Cypress Hill. Uh, right. And then we hired, we had like this punk band, Juventud Grasa, uh, doing an interpretation of a popular old song. So it's like that, when you hear it from the beginning to end, that's how colorful we are as a culture. Mm -hmm. There's Latino music here, and we also, we don't only consume Latino music or regional music, we also consume music from the US as well. So by doing it that way, I feel like it felt like an authentic playlist if you were to check everybody's iPhones in the movie, mm -hmm. right? Like if Uncle Rudy, the, pa the father, the nana, we're listening to Evie Queen, like you see like all these different things. We're like, how can we put everybody's 
a Spotify playlist in the movie and make that La Banda Sonora of the film. Uh, being half black and half Argentine, uh, I greatly appreciate that so much because just a mixture <laughs> of cultures is is a thing that I've loved, I've loved and, and lived with my entire life. And it's so many different ways that Blue Beetle has really connected to a lot of people. Um, but with Blue Beetle, we know there's a, well, we don't know what's going on in the future with the DCU <laughs> and DCU, but we do know Jaime will be back. Uh, yes. At least it is rumored. So um, if given the opportunity, where would you like to see Jaime go in the next DCU film if you're given the opportunity to direct? And if for some reason you're not, if you could have a dinner conversation with the person that is the next director, what would that conversation be like to make sure you're leaving him and the Reyes family in, in good hands? Well, for me, you know, for me and the writer, we both saw this first Blue Beetle film. And I say first because, you know, a lot of the Hollywood formula, a lot of uh, movies from this genre, um, a lot is unpacked in a short amount of time. And, and that's fine. You know, that's what a movie is. But, you know, this whole thing that at the 15 minute mark, his life changes and he has to come to terms really quickly and be swinging from buildings like he wouldn't be scared of anything, uh, you know, 20 minutes in. Mm -hmm. As much as I enjoy them, I was like, why can't we explore uh, and live in a little bit more on this um, reluctant hero approach? Mm -hmm. uh, given the fact that as a Latino who has been taught by his parents to keep staying his lane, play by the book, um, you know, like if there's um, something happens, you're probably the first one people are going to single out. So you want to make sure that, that, you know, you work hard and, and you stay in your lane. And that's like, that's like an overall um, advice from our parents that love us very much. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the, so he's playing by the book, right? Jaime plays by the book, and then all of a sudden he's just trying to get a job. He's been saying in the movie, "I just wanted a job." That's the only thing. Mm -hmm. Like he's a hero in his own way. Like he's willing to leave his studies behind to provide for his family that needs it, and and that selflessness is uh, is a heroic thing uh, on its own. But the fact that he gets these powers and these powers are just drawing attention from people that we don't want attention to be drawn to because, you know, his father and his Nana, they're still undocumented. And this is only going to bring more problem, more attention, more problem. So I can see why he doesn't want to do this. And so for us, it was like, what if the first movie, uh, ends up, you know, it is an adventure, it is a three-act structure, but by the time it lets up, in a macro sense, now he's ready to jump into the new world. Mm -hmm. Now he had his first adventure. Now he kind of, like, finally understands it. Like, he didn't understand it right away. Like, at the end, when that symbiotic relationship that Kaji finally stops him from making the wrong decision, that's when, okay, now they finally are connected now we can jump into a bigger adventure. That's why the stakes at the same time, that's why the stakes of the film are very intimate. Mm -hmm. They're not like, oh, it's not about saving the world from an alien invasion. 
you know, is that will happen. That's part of Blue Beetle. And right. our goal is to go on his journey, see his progression uh, as he becomes the hero we want him to become. And eventually, you know, uh, my goal would be find along this way, right? Jumping into like the second and the third one, who his mentors would be. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would be nice to see where Ted Cord or Booster Gold fits into mm -hmm. this, you know? Right. Uh, and eventually his biggest threat uh, or Kajida's biggest threat is the reach and what right. the reach does. And, and so I think like when you take it from like intimate and trying to know this new world, now finally understanding it, you jump into like higher stakes. So now maybe there's some threat to the world. Got it. And then on the third one, then maybe there's a bigger cosmic threat to the universe, right? Like mm -hmm. let's take him into pieces and let's dive in and let's live with them. Because at the same time, we wanted to create as much empathy as we could with the family. Mm -hmm. uh, so that when the loss of the father happens, uh, it happens because it happens and it affects you, not because I'm telling you that it's supposed to affect you, not because one of the actors is crying to let you know this is a sad moment. You are crying and you are affected because you were invested in the family first. The action came in second. And for me, creating that emotional investment and connection uh, with the characters uh, is something that I don't understand why these movies at some point don't do it more because I don't see why emotional connection needs to be sacrificed for the sake of spectacle. I think mm -hmm. both things can coexist. And, and, and I believe that, that by doing so, you're able to have um, a more honest reaction to, to the things that affect our characters. Perfect. Um, so before I let you go, I, I always like to leave off with this little hypothetical that I do. Uh, so I have a show. It's called One Gotta Stay. And, and uh, it, it, it came uh, up in the pandemic where I would see a lot of memes where they would give you four options. Uh, uh, yeah. And like, it's usually like, which one's got to go? I like to flip it on its head. And I like to say, which is the one that's got to stay? And the rest are gone forever. So I want to present you with four legendary Puerto Rican actors and actresses. And if you could only save one and then the works of the rest oh, are the gone forever, <laughs> I want to see where you would go for this. So, so, uh, uh, that's even dark is darker than the other one. Yes, it is. I, I love playing with it. Cause it just, it shows where people's minds go. It's so much fun. Uh, so you got Benicio del Toro, Man. Rita Moreno, come on, Rosie, Rosie Perez, and a little wild card in Luis Guzman. If you could say one, who would you say? Dude, this is this is tough. tough I know. I, I know. That's why I love it so much because it, it puts it puts people on the spot. It makes you think. It's like, wait, what do I if I do this? If I do that? How does it work? Do I want to go comedy? Do I want to go? Uh, so it's it's one of my favorite questions to ask. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my gosh, dude. Um, I think that before I make a decision, I think it's mm -hmm. worth, uh, you know, letting the world know that I want to work with all of them. 
all of that. Because they're all they're all amazing. They're, they're all amazing, and and you know they all have their own reason why they should have their own pedestal. I think, mm-hmm. and sure. and they all bring different things to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if I say Benicio, I've always wanted to work with Benicio. And I've mm-hmm. I've met him, and he's accessible and kind and a nice person, and. And I love his performance. And you know, Rita Moreno, come on, he's Rita Legend. Moreno. Let's uh, and she's still kicking it, dude. Like she she yes. can outdance all of us. Um and we have Rosie Perez, you know, she groundbreaking, mad talented. Uh I remember her I remember being mesmerized from do do the right thing and mm-hmm. moving forward. Like she's so great and 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 like I know she has way more uh to bring to the table. Uh and Liz Guzman, come on, like that guy is it's a killer. And uh and I've I've i hung out with him multiple times. Uh and I and he's I think he's both good on the comedy and mm-hmm. the, the dramatic aspect. For sure. Um so <laughs> uh, so all that said, I think for the sake of the joke, mm-hmm. uh, I would like, I think I will keep uh, Luis Guzman. Yes, yes, I love it, I love it. Yeah, I think I will, I will keep with Luis Guzman. Uh, right. Yeah, that, that guy is something else. Uh, he really and, is. And and I, I I I everybody there everybody that's mentioned is a great actor and everybody mm, that's that's sure. mentioned, you know that could be uh, an easy candidate. You no, know, two of them have of won course. the Oscars. Yes. Uh, but how dope would it be to see Luis Guzman win oh, an Oscar? I would I would be ecstatic. I would be ecstatic. Uh, Angel, I, I thank you so for, much for for me for me. Rosie Perez is yes. a matter of time. It's a matter of oh, time. Yes. You know, like she, she has that. You know, they, they take. She's taken in a in a serious way as well, and mm-hmm. and and she's visceral. But usually, when some actors are considered to be, well, or, or are typecast as funny, and then kind of like slaps you in the head with a visceral, dramatic performance, uh, I would love that for Luis Guzman. Yes, so much so. Uh, thank you so much, sir. I greatly appreciate <laughs> you. Uh, uh, as you're leaving, any Wrecking Crew things you can leave us with? Uh, <laughs> just a little bit. And if not, that's okay. Just, just I had to ask before you go. Uh, we're working hard on the script uh, in order to start as soon as possible. And God willing, after the writer's strike ends, uh, we can jump in and and create something exciting, but right now we're we are on on that beautiful step uh, step of the of the process with the script to getting it into a place for everybody to be excited. Yes, for sure, uh, definitely. Uh, let's let's hope for an end for the actor strike, the writer strike, and all of that. Please pay the your actors uh, yes, fairly because they deserve it. Uh, they I have- deserve it. Thank you so so much. It, it has been a great time talking to you. I appreciate you so much, and and I'll yeah. have a good rest of your day, sir. No man, thank you. This was awesome. This was a lot of fun. And finally, we we made it happen, man. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, appreciate All right, you, bro. Peace.